No longer can we rely on those same people in the media and politics who will say anything to keep our rigged system in place. Instead, we must choose to believe in America. History is watching us now. We don't have much time, but history is watching. It's waiting to see if we will rise to the occasion and if we will show the whole world that America is still free and independent and strong. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you were tuned into His Hardline. Welcome. Glad to have you all here. Don't forget to check out the website, www.hishardline.com. This is the only place where you're going to get God and Jesus Christ mixed in with a little true history of America, mixed in with instructions on how to assemble your nation. We're here to implement solutions that will help restore this republic. But most importantly, we're also here to help America and the rest of the world to invite Jesus Christ into their heart. It's time to take back our nation. It's time to take back our world, ladies and gentlemen. And you can find us here six out of the seven days a week. So be sure to share this with your friends and family. Don't forget, don't forget. Sovereignty itself is, of course, not subject to law, for it is the author and source of law. But in our system, while sovereign powers are delegated to the agencies of government, sovereignty itself remains with the people by whom and for whom all government exists and acts. Welcome to His Heart Line, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get started. <laughs> yeah. Let's get rocking. All right. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, good afternoon, and good morning, wherever you're at in the world. I am Jason, your co-host, with God at my side, because he is the host. He is the one in the captain's chair. He is the one in charge. He's the CEO. He's everything above, right? And so, therefore, he is at the wheel steering this ship through these crazy waters that we know it as life. So welcome to his hard line. Glad to have you all here. It is Sunday, January 15th, 2023. And this is episode 415, where we are going to be doing a reading out of Isaiah chapter 49. And then afterwards, we will be doing the reading out of the Constitution. And today we will be covering Article 3. And so we'll be covering that. And so Article 3 in the Constitution covers the judicial power of the United States, which would be the court and the judges and what enumerated powers that they have. And so there is one, two, three sections. So not a very long article in the Constitution. It kind of is no wonder why the Brunson case, um, <clears throat> why the judges basically said they, they, it was, you know, whatever the powers that they had was way out of the, you know, boundaries of what they were able to do. You know, comparatively speaking, when you read, you know, Article 2 and Article 1, which are significantly longer, giving, I don't want to say more power, but definitely a little bit more than what seems to be, you know, from a judge's standpoint. So from the, you know, from the judicial side. So that's going to be fairly quick compared to the first two articles. And then uh, tomorrow. So today what I was thinking about doing, I was going to go do, I was going to cover some items regarding health and wellness. But today I had a county meeting. 
Um, and of course I had quite the day, um, had a water pump go out my truck. So it caused kind of a bit of a long day. So I didn't quite get the, uh, the preparation that I really wanted, you know, to get at. And, uh, just, it was just kind of a very long day. So anyway, that's okay though. We, we adjust, we adjust as we need to, you know, as, as, as we see fit. So tomorrow, I think if time allows it and I can get up the videos that I need, we will cover uh, kind of more of like a wellness topic tomorrow. We'll take a slight break from the Constitution, and then on Tuesday we'll dig into Article 4. And again, you know, the reason I go over these items, the Constitution, and we were just talking about this actually, you know, in a meeting, you know, the reason I go over these things, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, and, you know, eventually I want to dig into the Magna Carta and uh, the Treaty of Verona, these things are... Even though they're historical documents, they still play a very large role into how we need to operate today. It's no different than the Holy Bible. That is a, you know, a several thousand, two, three thousand, right? Depending on the, you know, the, the, the books, you know, and when it was written. But anywhere between a two, three, four thousand, you know, um, year writings, depending on what book it is. And so that still holds very relevant to today. Well, it's no different with our founding documents of this nation. So we'll be covering a little bit of that. And I got a few sound audio pieces I'm going to play, about three to be exact. Uh, one of them is kind of more of a, something to ponder, nothing real, you know, nothing, nothing really to hang on. And you'll know what I mean when I play it. Then there's another sound piece I'm going to play. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what dictionary I've been wanting to look at this, but you know, it seems like every year they add words to the dictionary and they actually subtract words from the dictionary. And so I found a little piece that talked about how a certain word, which is pretty important, especially to God, how a certain word was taken out of the dictionary. And then um, I got another interesting piece. that's about seven minutes long, kind of more on the entertainment side of it, but it gives you something to think about because the way uh, this gentleman kind of frames this uh, particular subject matter, it does really make you think. So anyway, but before we get into that, let's get into the reading of Isaiah chapter 49. <clears throat> Let me just pull up my window that I need. Here we go. And I am reading out of the, uh, you know what? No, I don't want to read out of the New American Standard Bible today. Excuse me. I'm going to change it up a little bit for a second. Uh, sorry, that was just kind of a random uh, spur of the moment change. I was reading it this morning out of my New American Bible Revised Edition. So Isaiah chapter 49. And what I want is, wait, uh, no, the Bible Gateway. That's what I want. There we go. Bear with me a moment. Again, last minute change up right here in the air. Don't ask me what prompted me to do that. Just did. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. Computer wants to slow up on me here. There we go. Okay. So I am reading out of the New American Bible Revised Edition. Again, Isaiah chapter 49, and it is, uh, yeah, 26 verses. All right. And it reads, and now we're talking about the servant of the Lord. Okay. 
Hold on a second. Make sure everything's solid here. Okay, here we go. Hear me, coastlands. Listen, distant peoples. Before birth, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he gave me my name. He made my mouth like a sharp-edged sword, concealed me, shielded by his hand. He made me a sharpened arrow. In his quiver, he hid me. He said to me, You are my servant. In you, Israel, show me glory. Show my, I show my glory. Though I thought I had toiled in vain for nothing and for naught, spent my strength, yet my right is with the Lord, my recompense is with my God. For now the Lord has spoken, who formed me as his servant from the womb, that Jacob may be brought back to him and Israel gathered to him. I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is now my strength." It is too little, he says, for you to be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the survivors of Israel. I will make you a light to the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, to the one despised, abhorred by the nations, the slave of rulers. When kings see you, they shall stand up, and princes shall bow down. Because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I answer you. On the day of salvation, I help you. I form you and I set you as a covenant for the people to restore the land and allot the devastated heritages. To say to the prisoners, come out. To those in darkness, show yourselves. Along the roadways, they shall find pasture. On every barren height shall their pastures be. They shall not hunger or thirst, nor shall scorching wind or sun strike them. For he who pities them leads them and guides them. Besides, besides springs of water, I will turn all my mountains into roadways and make my highways level. See, these shall come from afar, some from the north and the west, Others from the land of Syene. Sing out, heavens, and rejoice, earth. Break forth into song, you mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and shows mercy to his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget her infant? Be without tenderness for the child of her womb. Even should she, I will never forget you. See upon the palms of my hand, I have engraved you. Your walls are ever before me. Your children hasten, your levelers, your destroyers go forth from you. Look about and see, they are all gathering and coming to you. As I live, Oracle of the Lord, you shall don them as jewels. Bedeck yourself like a bride. No longer of course. can we rely on those. It's funny how that does that. Hasn't done that in a while. Hmm. Well, that's how it goes. Continuing, though you were, in fact, I'm going to lower the volume in case that decides to do it randomly. Okay. Though you were waste in desolate, a land of ruins, now you shall be too narrow for your inhabitants, while those who swallowed you up will be far away. The children, there it is again, the children of whom you were bereft shall yet say in your my goodness tell you what love how that does that and the children of whom you were bereft 
shall yet say in your hearing, This place is too narrow for me. Make room for you, for me to live in. You shall ask yourself, Who has borne me these? When I was bereft and barren, exiled and repudiated, who has reared them? I was left all alone. Where then do these come from? Thus says the Lord God. See, I will lift up my hand to the nations and to the peoples, raise my signal. They shall bring your sons in the arms. Your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your guardians, their princesses, your nursemaids. Face to the ground, they shall bow down before you and lick the dust at your feet. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. None who hope in me shall be ashamed. Can plunder be taken from a warrior, or captives rescued from a tyrant? Thus says the Lord, yes, captives can be taken from a warrior, and plunder rescued from a tyrant. Those who oppose you I will oppose, and your sons I will save. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh, and they shall be drunk with their own blood. As though the new wine, all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. And that is the reading of Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 26. Now, one particular verse that always seems to, um, I don't want to say stand out, but one that is uh, pointed out quite a bit within the assembly is uh, Isaiah 49, chapter 8. Okay, see, this gets annoying after a while. Hmm. And I'm on the Brave web browser, too. This is why I lowered the volume. I don't know why. Somebody likes to keep pushing play on that. Somebody likes to mess with me. Whatever. But anyways, uh, 49 verse 8, where it says, Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I answer you. On the day of salvation I help you. I form you. And set you as a covenant for the people to restore the land and allot the devastated heritages. Now, what? I mean, there's a lot packed into that. In a time I, of favor, I answer you. On the day of salvation, I help you. And I form you and set you as a covenant for the people. A covenant. Now, let's take a look at something real quick. What does covenant mean? Let's do something real quick. So we're going to copy and paste this. We're going to look up covenant real quick in the Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Because it's important to understand the meanings of words. So covenant. A covenant is a mutual consent or agreement of two or more persons to do or to forbear some act or thing. A contract, stipulation, a covenant is created by deed and writing, sealed and executed, or it may be implied in the contract. Definition two, a writing containing the terms of agreement or contract between parties or the clause. I tell you what, this is getting very annoying with the music keep going on and off, I tell you. Or the clause of an agreement in a deed containing the covenant. In theology, definition three, in theology, 
A covenant of works is that implied in the commands, prohibitions, and promises of God, the promise of God to man. That man's perfect obedience should entitle him to happiness. This do and live, that do and die. And of course, there's a fourth definition where it says in church affairs, a solemn agreement between the members of a church that they will walk together according to the precepts of the gospel and brotherly affection. So basically what we're looking at, it's a promise by God to man. So let's go back and look at that for a second. Again, I want to read that just one more time. Thus says the Lord in time of favor, I answer you. On the day of salvation, I help you. I form you and set you as a covenant for the people. So he's promising the people. Well, what's he promising the people? Who is the people? Well, at this point in time in modern day, people obviously is us. He's promising us to restore the land. To restore the land. And to allot the devastated heritages. Well, what are the devastated heritages? That could be all the heritages in America. I mean, we have a lot of heritage here. Some, a lot of it, which not being even taught in school. But because America is a big melting pot of a lot of different people, immigrants from all over the world, we have a lot of different heritages. That's what kind of makes America a beautiful place. We have people from all around the world here in America. I love it. It's great. Gives us a good selection of awesome food, too. So, what exactly are we reading here? So, let's take a look a little further. So, as always, it's important here to state the big story at work in Isaiah in order to uh, grasp the power of Isaiah's proclamation in 49. So, God's people have been defeated, their temple destroyed, and they are taken in chains to Babylon alienated from their land and their God. And this exile is a crisis of identity and faith. Now, are they still God's people? How can they worship in this foreign land? Now, into this crisis, Isaiah speaks a word of hope in these chapters, and God will send a servant who will do justice. Now, indeed, it appears that much of 2nd Isaiah, which would be chapters 40 through 55, addresses the return of the Israelites to their homeland and the promise of a restored temple and a nation. And the disorientation of exile is replaced by a new orientation that is more than just returning to the way things were before exile. God has something much more in mind. And so Isaiah shouts this news from the rooftops. And if this first verse were an online blog, it would actually be in all caps. See, he has a message not for Israel alone, but for the whole world, even you peoples far away, just basically verse one. And this message is from God and God has raised up a servant, one hidden and unknown, a nobody. And God has made this servant the instrument of God's glory. Now from Rahab to David to Mary, the story of God's people is full of unlikely servants raised up by God. 
and this is a a recurrent theme in Scripture, and we want to notice it here. Now, the servant is called while still in the womb, hidden and invisible, and the Lord hides the servant in the shadow of his hand and in his quiver. Now, in this case, the servant, too, is hidden from himself as an agent of God. And a servant stands disbelieving in the face of God's call, blinded by self-condemnation to God's purposes. And he confesses a life labored in vain and spent for nothing and vanity. And God acknowledges as much as, you know, as much in verse seven, agreeing that this servant is one deeply despised, abhorred, abhorred by nations, and the slave of rulers. And this servant, first invisible and then despised, will nevertheless be recognized by the powerful, by kings and princesses, because it's the weird. Lord. I tell you, I tell you what, this is the first time I've had the music keep going on and off. We're just going to pray in Jesus' name that he casts whoever out of here and stop messing around, Satan or whoever, because I tell you what, this is getting quite annoying. Last time I used Brave to run Pondbean. I think I, I have better luck on uh, Google Chrome, I tell you. But we're going to keep persevering forward because that's just what we do. Don't care. So anyway, but God acknowledges this, like I said, as much in verse 7, agreeing that his servants is one deeply despised, abhorred by nations, and the slave of rulers. And the servant, first invisible and then despised, will nevertheless be recognized by the powerful kings and princes. And because the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, has chosen you. And so for the preacher, this is a great opportunity to talk about how God calls unlikely servants. And perhaps more importantly, how often those servants do not recognize themselves as such. And so God has a direction. The story is going insistently toward the restoration of Jacob. And the survivors of Israel. And the decades of exile produced a diaspora with tribes scattered from Mesopotamia to Egypt, trying to scratch out a life, and God's purpose is to raise up the tribes of Jacob. Now, that Israel might be gathered to him, and God intends for Israel to be restored as a people with one another and with God. And their exile is not the end of the story. That's the important part. Now, we can imagine this proclamation falling on the ears of Israel with a sigh of relief. And if this passage was only about restoring Israel, that would be impressive enough within the dramatic narrative of Babylon exile, Babylonian exile, I should say. But you got to, but wait, there's more. God doesn't get stuck there. And so this passage moves from a very particular and powerful deliverance of Israel to an even larger mission. In an astonishing phrase, God says that the restoration of Israel is too light of a thing in and of itself. And God's people do not exist for themselves alone, nor is their restoration an end in itself. So God gathers people, God gathers his people, I should say, into God's life for one purpose, and that's salvation of the world. God charges Israel, God's servant, to be a light to the nations and that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. 
it's important to note that God takes this very seriously and that the that this particular historical moment of Israel in exile and God doesn't get stuck in that particular historical moment. Just as exile isn't the end of the story, neither is restoration. See, people think restoration is the end, but it's not. The long arc of God's story points toward the restoration of all creation, the Holy One, who has chosen you, calls Israel to inhabit not only its homeland, but its identity as God's blessing for the world. We need to remember God doesn't get stuck in a tidy you know, in, in, in the tidy resolutions to the crisis that we think is the end of the story. You know, we often believe that if things turn out okay, that the story is over. But on the contrary, it's not. So if the church makes budget, and then you think, whoo, thank God, that was close, right? If we can get through a health scare... We are humbled and grateful, right? I mean, how often do we have these situations? We have a crisis, and somehow we get through it, and we're like, all right, we made it through that. Awesome. I mean, you got to remember, God's not done. Just like the restoration of our nation with our assemblies, See, and I have this in my back of my mind. I often think, all right, if we can just get our assemblies, right? We can get our, if we just get our 38 states, if we can just restore this republic, we can finally be over with this. And then we can have a, all right, we did it. No, the restoration is not the end. These so-called endings are technically new beginnings, right? each having a new horizon of possibility. Not for ourselves alone, but for the world that God loves. It's a journey, not a destination we're trying to reach. Okay, life is a journey. We are never going to stop until we take our last breath of air and God calls us home. See, the restoration of individuals or churches or even an entire people is never only about that. God's healing work moves outward continuously, always expanding towards, you know, just absolute fulfillment. That my salvation may reach the end of the earth. God's story is always bigger than our own. We need to remember that. And holding our stories within God's life and weaving them into the wide open future. We have to remember that even though we'll get our restoration, it's not the end. The end is just a new beginning, and it's always going to be a new beginning. Again, we're in this journey. Very good chapter. I actually really enjoyed this chapter when I read it this morning. Because I think I find myself, I think we all do to a degree, right? I think we all find ourselves with that kind of mindset. If we can just get through this trial, right? Come on, God, please help me through this. 
if I can just get through this financial crisis and be able to catch up on the bills and be able to make, you know, come out ahead, right? And you can have a sigh of relief. Or like I said, that health scare. Restoration does not mean the end. It just means it's a new beginning. It's very important. It's kind of a reminder that lets us know that we should not seek an ending. We should never seek an ending. You know, I almost wish I had that Rascal Flat song queued up. Life is a highway, right? Because that is what life is. It's a highway. Uphill and downhill and bumps and potholes, right? Detours. Stop and go traffic because of construction or bad weather, right? Storms. And sometimes these highways lead off into beautiful the most beautiful scenic country that mankind can ever witness with their eyes. Life is not a highway leading to a parking lot. How boring would that be? We drive and 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 drive. And then, oh, we reached the ending, parking lot. Great, what do we do? Well, let's get out and let's stretch our legs. Let's go... Let's go hit the head. Let's, you know, relieve ourselves. Let's get, you know, maybe set up a picnic. Let's enjoy the sight. Oh, look, there's a lake here. Let's uh let's let's go fishing. Great. You're gonna have fun for a while, but then eventually that 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 stop, that destination is gonna be boring. Then what? Well, this is it. This is the ending. Then this is this is what we drove all this way for. Then you start realizing, well, this sucks, right? This parking lot's not very fun once you kind of, you know, this this rest area is not very fun. We already fished this lake. We already ate our lunch. We're refreshed. We already kind of enjoyed the sights that are here. Yeah, well, this is all there is. This is why we drove. Oh. That's it? Yep. Hmm. See what I'm saying? Life is that highway. There's, you know, in a restoration during times of crisis ends up pushing us further ahead in our journey. And that's why we always have to look forward to the next opportunity or the next open door that's going to be opened up for us, right? The next door that's, that we sometimes oftentimes have to open ourselves. Always moving forward, always finding a new journey. That's why I don't think I could really ever retire, be quite honest with you. I say that now, but what are we supposed to do while we're here on earth? Just keep moving forward, right? Expand the kingdom, be a light to others, be a testimony, share the love of Jesus, share stories of how Jesus worked in your life, right? That's what we're supposed to do. Expand his kingdom. Very important. So I'm going to take a quick short break, and then we're going to cover the Constitution, Article 3, and then i got some sound audio pieces to play and talk a little bit about them, and then uh, close it out. Be right back. 
So I've been doing a little bit of shopping, trying to uh, check out some different podcast equipment on uh, Amazon. Got some gift cards to spend. I got some gift cards, my friends. I got to blow some gift cards because uh, there's really not a lot that I want, but I can think of one thing I can, you know, definitely buy, and that's better equipment for the studio. Because uh, right now I'm operating on a mic. It's a good mic, if I might add, but, it, but it, it plugs directly via USB into the laptop. And so there's really not a whole lot of control volume-wise. I'm actually kind of at the mercy of using this little volume bar uh, to tune, you know, tune in and out slowly. You know, So I've been doing a lot of homework, doing a lot of research. I've been sitting on this money and these gift cards for quite some time, trying not to spend stupidly but i've been looking at some pretty you know decent stuff and but i do need a solid you know sound mixing board so i can uh plug my you know not just plug my computer into it so sounds going into it but so i could plug my phone into it or hook it you know hook it up via bluetooth so i can play videos from that rather than upload audio you know on Pondbean and constantly have stupid issues there um just you know different things like that so I've been looking around and I've been looking around, so it's going to take a minute. But, um, yeah, so I'm hoping, I'm hoping I can have, a, you know, an idea of what I'm going to get before the end of the month. So we will see what I land on. And I was thinking about buying another mic. So, yeah. Well, okay, so let's get into the readings first. So um, I want to do that first. So Article 3 of the Constitution, and like I said, there's three sections, and Article 3 are the enumerated powers of the judicial branch. So Article 3, Section 1. The judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one Supreme Court and in such inferior courts as the Congress may from time to time ordain and establish, and the judges, both of the Supreme and inferior courts, shall hold their offices during good behavior and shall, as stated times, receive for their services a compensation which shall not be diminished during their continuance of office. Section 2. The judicial power shall extend to all cases in law and equity arising under this Constitution, the laws of the United States and treaties made or which shall be made under their authority, to all cases affecting ambassadors, other public ministers, and councils, to all cases of admiralty and maritime jurisdiction. That's very important. Very. I'm going to repeat that. To all cases of admiralty and maritime jurisdiction. It's no wonder that the American flag, old glory, the battle flag, has the yellow fringes inside the courtroom. Because it operates in maritime law. So again, part of its judicial power here to, to all cases of admiralty and maritime jurisdiction. To controversies to which the United States shall be a party to controversies between two or more states, between a state and a citizen of another state, 
between the citizens of different states, between citizens of the same state claiming lands under grants of different states, and between a state or the citizens, that's a capital C, by the way, thereof, and foreign states. Citizens or subjects. Now, I find that very interesting how it says citizens or subjects. Now, in all cases affecting ambassadors, other public ministers and councils, and those in which a state shall be a, shall be party, the Supreme Court shall have original jurisdiction. In all, in all the other cases before mentioned, the Supreme Court shall have appellate jurisdiction, both as to law and fact with such exceptions and under such regulations as the Congress shall make. The trial of all crimes, except in case of impeachment, shall be by jury, and such trial shall be held in the state where the said crime shall have been committed. But when not committed within any state, the trial shall be at such place or places as the Congress may by law have directed. Now, that is an interesting word. Now, I have an idea of what this word is just by the mere fact of we use the word appellation and the assembly, but we're going to put this in real quick in the Noel Webster's 1828 Dictionary, Appellate. Let's just do a quick research uh, look up on this before we get into Section 3. An appellate it's a noun meaning a person appealed or prosecuted for a crime. It can also be used as an adjective pertaining to appeals, having cognizance of appeals as appellate jurisdiction. Now, let's see here. It says it's not now used in this dictionary. See, appellee. Let's click on appellee for a minute. Appellee, spelled A-P-P-E-L-L-E-E. -E -E. Two little short definitions. First one, the defendant in an appeal and the person who is appealed or prosecuted by a private man for a crime. So just a little, little definition there. Let's get into Section 3, last section of Article 3, which, again, is the judicial powers. Section 3, very short, only two paragraphs. Treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. No person shall be convicted of treason unless on the testimony of two witnesses to the same overact or on confession in open court. The Congress shall have power to declare punishment of treason, treason but no attainder of treason shall work corruption of blood or forfeiture during the life of of the person attained. So those are the three sections in Article 3 of the Constitution, again, basically stating what the powers of the judicial branch is. 
Now, again, we need to remember the legislative, the executive, and the judicial branches are the third, fourth, and fifth branch of government, the lower three branches of government. Government. Well, Jason, what's the upper branches of government? I thought there was only three branches. That's what we were taught in elementary school and high school. Of course, that's what you were taught in the indoctrination camps they call public schools. But what they don't tell you is that the first two branches of government, first off, is we, the people in General Assembly. That's number one. That's the body politic. People by God. Rights given to us by God. And then the second branch of government is common law grand juries which is made up by the body politic of we the people. And Anton, the late Justice Antonin Scalia solidified that in a case that he had back in 1992. The common law grand juries hold the power to investigate and impanel a jury of their peers of whoever they're prosecuting the common law grand juries actually has a lot more power than more people really realize. They're the ones that serve as the protective buffer between the body politic of the people and the usurping power, power tripping tyrants in the lower fourth, fifth and or the fourth, fifth and sixth branch of government. So if you have a tyrannical judge or you know, a despotic, you know, politician somewhere in the lower three branches of government, guess what? The people who make up the common law grand juries will impanel a trial against them. They will investigate on behalf of the people in the assembly and the people that's being, you know, that's, you know, again, if there's, if there's no victim, there's, you know, no, no victim, no crime. But if there is a victim among the body politic of people, that's when the common law grand jury is in panel. And they have a quick and speedy trial. They bring forward the evidence and the facts of findings. This is why we need to get our assemblies, ladies and gentlemen. This is why it's so important. I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. Do you want to know why our assemblies aren't growing as fast as they should. It's because of a lack of knowledge. This is why I answered the call by God to come here to not only read the Bible, because remember, I'm sure you guys can find a hundred other voices out there much better and more comprehensible and probably better to listen to than me to read the Bible. But for some reason, you guys keep coming here, and I thank you for that. But the second reason I also answered the call by God to start this podcast is to put forward the knowledge and information out there, as well as Myself, I, I learned myself doing all of this to put out bits and pieces of information regarding the assemblies and reading the Constitution and things of that nature. Nobody takes the time to do this anymore. So by golly, I'll be the one. I'll put it in an audio format, try to make it as entertaining as I possibly can while putting other subject matters in, in the show, kind of give it some, you know, good, solid content. But at least we're learning something. We're learning a little bit about God. We're learning, you know, we're hearing his word, right? We're spending some time in prayer on these shows. And then we learn a little bit about history, our founding documents, how our nation was, and where we need to be today going forward. At the same time, we like to talk a little bit about family because you can't have a strong nation without a strong family. 
And if you saw my telegram that I had earlier today, in fact, let me pull it up real quick. I, I should have kept this up. Um, if you didn't see it, I'm just going to read something. So I talk oftentimes about the field training manual 2000-25, right? That was a training manual that was released by the War Department back in 1928. Well, what's in that field training manual, Jason? Well, basically what it is, is it's a manual released to the military, particularly the Army. And it's a manual that basically instructs how to build up a nation state. Well, what does that mean? Well, it talks about how to restore a republic from a democracy. Now, with that being said, there's many references in the in, in that war manual and that or that field training manual that talk about the importance of religion, that talk about the importance of family. Because without a, a strong, solid family unit, you don't have a strong nation because strong families typically if they follow God and center God at the heart of that household and the heart of that family and their marriage have morals now I'm going to just read a little excerpt out of this this was in section 6 of the field training manual and this little subsection is called the abolition of the family. Now remember, this was in a field training manual released by the War Department. The War Department. The you know, the one that FDR wanted to destroy, by the way, that field training manual. Why? Because it demonized democracies and pedestalized republics. So the abolition of the family, this is what it says in this little short section. With personal rights, private property, and the church abolished, to make subjugation, subjection complete, and I quote, the state, end quote, declares that in pure collectivism, there can be no family ties for children. Like all other property, they are an asset of the community and must be robbed of family love and obligation as a necessary step to loyalty to the state. Marriage may be practiced if conscience insists, but it is not demanded in the interest of the new society. For with the abolishment of personal rights, private property, church, and home, society no longer possesses a moral, ethical, or spiritual code. Hmm... Hmm, what did that just say? Marriages may be practiced if conscience insists, but it's not demanded in the interest of a new society, kind of like, I don't know, maybe the new world order. You know, the one that Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum is trying to usher in. What does he say? You will owe nothing and you will be happy. Well, what do we just read in the last sentence here? For with the abolishment of personal rights, private property, church, and home, society no longer possesses a moral, ethical, or spiritual code. Are you getting the picture, ladies and gentlemen? I'm not trying to sound like a smart aleck here, but are we getting the picture here? There is a reason why the War Department discusses the importance of a strong family in that field training manual. Strong family equals strong nation. You don't have a strong family, nation crumbles underneath it. 
Why do you think they try so hard to get rid of God? You get rid of God, you cripple the family. You cripple the family, you take down a nation. You take down a nation, you can control the people and everything in it. It's very simple, ladies and gentlemen. This is why my podcast, excuse me, forgive me, Father. This is why God's podcast is centered around God, family, and country. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not a very bright and smart man, but I try to comprehend as much as I can with what I read. I do my best to get as much information as possible that's relevant to today and how it can be ap- you know, applied in real life so that we can turn this nation around. But ladies and gentlemen, look, I could talk about the assemblies all day long until I'm blue in the face. And while the information we put forward about the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and, you know, everything that's assembly related and how to restore a republic, we need strong families first. We need, excuse me, we need God in our lives first. And then we need strong families fortified second. Very, very important. I want to play this quick little piece here because, again, I want to try to stay. I'm probably going to go over a little an hour, but I'm going to try to shorten this up here. In fact, one sound piece, I'll just wait till tomorrow because I do want to stay within an hour. Um, I have to get strict with my time. So I want to play this one piece. This is interesting how, you know, they take they add words to the dictionary and then how they eliminate words from the dictionary. Listen. So this is crazy. Listen, every year the dictionary adds and removes words. And recently they added five words and they banned this one word. The five words that they added are TBH, cringe, cancel culture, flex, and side hustle. And guess what was the one word that they removed? sin. Very interesting choice. Just because you erase a word from the dictionary doesn't mean you erase it from reality. The only one who can erase the stain of sin from your life is Jesus Christ. That's right. Jesus Christ is the only one that can 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 do that. They can take whatever they want out of the dictionary all day long. They're not they're not going to take it out of life or reality. That's not, that's not going to work. Now I want to play one other soundbite and then we'll get into a prayer. Cause again, I of making it my mission to be better with my time management and my daughter is home. And so we're gonna have some family time before she goes to bed, but this is kind of funny. It's just kind of a little compilation of different Trump clips talking about how Biden doesn't know he's even alive. Kind of interesting when you think about it, let's play this for a minute. Again, this is the audio piece I was telling you not to take much stock into, but it is interesting. And I know it. Joe doesn't know he's alive. Because Biden doesn't know he's alive. Biden doesn't know. I mean, he doesn't know he's alive. Joe doesn't know he's alive. Now, I have to tell you, he's a different guy. He looks different than he used to. He acts different than he used to. He's even slower than he used to be. So I don't know, but I call him 1% Joe. Joe Biden is a dummy. It's not him. He is a puppet. He is a puppet. Interesting. When I heard that earlier, I was like, huh. 
Very, very, very interesting. You're right, Zero Michigan. He, I, I believe he's a clone too. You see, when I talk about these things, see, you know what's funny, you guys? Hear, hear, hear me out for a second. I know I have mentioned things in the past about, oh, Pelosi's in Gitmo and, you know, Biden's not the real Biden, right? I mean, come on. Look, here's the thing. Let's be real. Obviously, I don't have proof, right? I don't have proof of any of that. Okay, I'm just going to put that out there because I have to say that because, again, I'm not, I can't validate any of that. I don't have any top secret clearance that verifies all this information. All I have is basically my own research, the research my wife does, the research other people do that we happen to kind of look up ourselves, again, because we have ourselves to rely on and discernment from God. Okay, so clearly I don't have this verification that, hey, I know I happen to know that Biden has four clones and Trump has eight and and, and Whitmer is gone and she has a clone, right? Like, we, we don't really know that, really. I mean, yeah, we can look at photos and see significant, you know, changes in facial structures and features and height. I mean, there's a few different Trumps out there that range, you know, in different heights. So we can use our investigative, you know, and observational skills and clearly see that there is something awry with the people that are in our quote public offices. Right. But yeah, it's like zero just said, we don't have the details. We don't have the receipts to show that I had somebody actually, uh, she, 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 I, I saw the comment, but then she deleted it on telegram saying, you know, we've been, I've been, you know, we've been sending people over to your channel, but when you talk about people being in Gitmo, it kind of turns people off. That's fine. Look, sometimes some of the things I talk about over here, it might turn someone off. That's fine. I can't make everybody happy. Look, that's one thing I learned in, in when I used to be a DJ, you're not going to please everybody. And I'm okay with that. You, you can't, it's impossible to please anybody, but see, here's the thing. You know what the beautiful part about where I'm at in this stage of my life and where I'm at with this podcast, I don't come here to please you. I come here to serve you. Now, whether if you think that service is inadequate or, uh, or fulfilling and relevant in your life, that's a different story, but I'm not here to please you. That's not what I do. I'm here to please God and serve God. That's the only one I'm here to please God. That's it. I mean, I'm, I'm there to please my wife and daughter too, but you know, but God first, but anybody else, I'm not here to please anybody else. So let's end with a prayer. Heavenly father, I want to say thank you so very much for this time together. I really do appreciate it. And I want to keep people in our prayers that while our world still continues to move forward with our families and with the memories that we're making, we need to remember that there are people in our circles and people that we know that have dealt with tragedy and their personal worlds have stopped. We need to keep these people in our prayers. We ask that you provide solace and peace for these people. Allow the souls of the departed to rest and to take refuge in your kingdom. We know your plan is the perfect plan, God. That's the only plan that we trust here at His Hard Line, your plan. The plan that is supposed to be carried out by your people, us. 
So we just pray that you continuously be a guiding light for us. Show us the way you need us to go. Allow our footsteps to be in alignment with your perfect plan. And as usual, we thank you for another day of life and good health in our families. Thank you for the gift of hard work in our homes. May you protect us in our ability, health-wise, spiritually, financially, to be able to continue to provide for our families as we press forward during these times of high rising costs and inflation. We don't pray for extra money. We just pray, Father, that you grant us the resources to be able to take care of our families and our health the way you need us to. And we pray all of this in your Holy Son's name, Jesus Christ. Christ. Amen. So that is all we have for you today. I do have another sound piece I wanted to play, but I'm going to save that for tomorrow. Okay. Um, Because it's about seven minutes long. And like I said, I am holding true to my promise, especially when I have my family home. I'm going to make sure I keep this at an hour or under so I can spend much deserved time with my family because that is a reward for me. I tell you what, after a 12-hour day, ladies and gentlemen, that's the one thing I look forward to the most. It's like every day when I clock out, it's like I I clock out to go home on a mini vacation until I got to wake up back to reality and go back to work again <laughs> at 2 a.m. But yeah, coming home is like, coming home to mini vacation every day. I absolutely love it. And no, I'm not just saying it because my wife is listening in. That's the truth. <laughs> but then again, that I, I get brownie points for that. <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen, wherever you're at in the world, I hope you have a good night or a good evening or a good morning. And remember, you need to remain firm, steadfast, and uncompromising. Keep God first, your family second, so we can have a strong republic in this nation third, because they know a strong family equals a strong America. God bless, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back here tomorrow. No longer can we rely on those same people in the media and politics who will say anything to keep our rigged system in place. Instead, we must choose to believe in America. History is watching us now. We don't have much time, but history is watching. It's waiting to see if we will rise to the occasion and if we will show the whole world that America is still free and independent and strong. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to say thank you so much for tuning in here at His Heart Line. Really appreciate you. And don't forget to share this podcast with friends and family. Just copy the link, shoot it via text. You could share it on social media. I don't care if you got to put it up in smoke signals. Just get it out there. And don't forget to check out the website, www.hisheartline.com. And join us here every single day. We operate six out of the seven days a week. And remember, as it states in Joshua 1.9, I command you, be strong and steadfast. Do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Don't forget, sovereignty itself is of course not subject to law, for it is the author and source of law. But in our system, while sovereign powers are delegated to the agencies of government, 
Sovereignty itself remains with the people, by whom and for whom all government exists and acts. We'll see you back here next time.